We're continuing into week two of our series called Relationship Goals. And if you've been on social media at all over the last few years, you've seen this terminology thrown around. When there's one photo that just kind of, it's a really cute couple and it's like, oh, that's what I want. Like this one little snippet of their life, it looks so beautiful, they look so in love, they look so healthy. Like that's what I want, that's my relationship goals right there. And we're talking about what our goals should be for relationships. And as we get into today's topic, I don't, I don't want you to get in trouble, so don't answer this out loud when I ask it, okay? Do not answer it. But if you were to tell me why you married the person that you did, what would you say? And I know some of you guys are like, Paul, I've been asking myself that same question of why did I marry this person that I did? But, but why? What, what was the reason? And some people, you know, guys are like, well, you know, she had those apple bottom jeans and the boots with the fur. And, and, like, and her dad was with a shotgun standing right next to her. And so we got married at a young age because we had to. Some, some people are like, oh, I just always dreamed of the picture-perfect wedding, and I needed a prop to stand next to me, and so we got married. Uh, I, the reasons that we get married are very varied. Like, they, there's a lot of different things that will bring us to that point. And one of the most common answers, though, is that, well, they make me happy. They make me happy, and so I married them. And that worked for at least, like, 18 months after we got married. And then I just wasn't naturally happy around them anymore. And so they broke. And so I need a new one now that will make me happy until they stop making me happy. And then I'll just exchange them again. And I want to tell you, it's not a good foundation to build a marriage on. In fact, happiness isn't a foundation we build a marriage on. Happiness is a byproduct of building your marriage on the right foundation. Happiness is a symptom of what will happen as you begin to follow God's design for marriage. And I think that we often seek after happiness instead of seeking after the things that will cause happiness in, the mar- in your marriage and the things that scripture teaches us to pursue in a marriage. Last week, we began to look at Genesis 1 and God's design for a marriage and his design of Adam and Eve. And we're going to pick up just a little bit further in Genesis 1 verses 27 through 28. And we'll put this on the screen as I read it, as we begin studying God's word today. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. As God created Adam and Eve, he began right from that point to assign them a purpose, a mission, a calling. They had an authority and a responsibility to fill the earth and to subdue it. And as they began their relationship, one of the first things that I want you to see as we see God's design for marriage is his design wasn't just for them to sit there and stare at each other. Like, although they were naked and although they were the best looking man and woman on the planet at the time, like, the intent wasn't just sit around and do nothing. He said, I have a purpose for your life, to fill the earth and to subdue it. And and so get to work. Like, this is what you have to do. And I believe that so many relationships, they believe that their primary calling in life is to just keep themselves entertained. 
Like, what, what are we supposed to do for this week? Well, let's just watch as much Netflix and Hulu as we can. Like, let's just do the things that benefit us. And then eventually, as that begins to wear old, there is a sense that this just isn't working the way that it should. And it's true. It doesn't work the way that it should when you're just living for your own amusement because God has designed you to do something here on earth. He gives each one of us a mission, a purpose, and a calling. One of the evidences for this is that in each one of you, there is a certain injustice that when you hear it, it just stirs you up and you're like, someone should do something about that. And I I believe that if God takes away your peace about something like that, it's because he's saying, I want you to be involved in fixing that issue. Each one of us have a calling. Each one of us has a purpose. Even your marriage relationship has a job here on earth that it should be doing. And when we get to inwardly focus, fights begin to break out. I, I want to compare the way that we treat our, our relationships to, to, I mean, this might sound weird, but like Kobe Bryant is one of my favorite basketball players. I, I was a young man in the 90s, and he was about my age, and so it was just fun to watch him play basketball. But if you're not a basketball fan, this is one thing to know about him. If he had practice at 7 a.m., he was there at least at 5 a.m., getting up shots before everybody else. His teammates would tell stories about he would challenge them to play one-on-one games to 100 before practice, and the best that any of them ever did against him was 12 points to 100. He was committed to his craft. And those, those pieces of it, those were all during high school. As a high schooler, he was so committed to basketball, he would wake up at 4 a.m. to be at the gym by 5 to put in more work than anybody else. That continued as he became an NBA player, an NBA all-star. As he was playing for Team USA, he was up before all the other all-stars putting in work because he continually wanted anyone around him to know that no matter how hard they worked, he would outwork them. They could never catch up. And there's something about that, that our world will pour insane amounts of energy and time in their life into something as fleeting as basketball. While the church has something that matters for all of eternity in front of us, and we barely put any energy into it. And I want to tell you, your marriage, it matters eternally. It's part of how you worship God here on earth, of how you love your spouse, the legacy that you're creating for your children. Your marriage matters, and it deserves more effort than anyone is willing to put into basketball, to football, to any sport. It deserves your attention, your sweat, your energy, your time, your thoughts. It deserves more than any other earthly thing that we chase after. It's part of your worship of God. But we have bought into a lie that says, a good marriage, it just naturally works. It doesn't take effort and time. And that is a lie. Anyone who would look at Kobe Bryant play basketball, they'd probably be like, well, it just must be nice to be able to jump that high and shoot that well. And you miss all of the hours and hours that he put into perfecting that craft. When you see relationships and marriages that are strong, that have lasted through years, it didn't just happen by chance. It happened by effort, time, and energy. So how much energy are we putting into our marriages? Do we feel like this is a a mission, a purpose, a calling? This is the first truth that I want you and need you to grab a hold of, that your marriage is a mission. Your Your marriage needs a mission. You guys need to have this understanding that we have a purpose here on earth for this season. 
And each season of your life, it might change a little bit. While you have kids, you might be like, you know, the purpose of our marriage right now, one of the purposes of it, one of the missions of our marriage is that we're gonna raise up godly kids. And so that means we're gonna have to say no to some of the things that we'd like to do for our own entertainment, our own travel, because we wanna raise these kids up in the Lord. Right now, in your marriage, your mission might be, we need to repair some damage that has occurred over these years. And so we have to intentionally craft times where we are getting on the same page because we haven't been on the same page. And your mission might be repairing your marriage. Your your mission might be pouring into your grandchildren. Your mission might be pouring into each other's health. Your mission might be getting financially to where we need to be. But I'm gonna tell you, you should have this central idea that you say, this is what we're going after as a couple right now. Because from the very first couple, God didn't just set them down and say, enjoy. He said, okay, you guys are here together. Here's what you're working for. This, this is your responsibility. What are you responsible for right now as a couple? And if you're not married in the room today, I wanna make sure I encourage you. These are thoughts that you need to have planted into your heart because it's gonna save you from so many missteps. You're gonna be able to encourage other people who are in relationships, if you're not in one right now, as they're running into walls in the way that their relationship is going. One of the questions that you should have from, well, what do you guys as a couple feel like your mission is right now? I know it doesn't get talked about that way very often, but it should because when you recognize we're not, we're not here to fight each other, we're here to fight for each other, to fight for the calling that God has placed on our heart, you can avoid a whole lot of problems when you understand this is where our marriage is going. In, in verse 24 of chapter two in Genesis, it, God continues to, to write out the explanation of what the marriage relationship should be like. And he says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Biblically, this is the calling of a marriage relationship. That two lives would integrate so holistically that they're described as one new person. When there is no unity in mission, in marriage, I believe you find yourself feeling alone near someone else. And there's not a sense of this is where our life is going. This is what we're called to do. This is, this is where our energy is gonna be. There's a sense of like, I don't know if they hear me. I don't know if they see me. I don't know if they have feelings for me. And we end up fighting for just what we, we want for ourselves. There's so many people who say, you know, I've been living with this other person who after 15 years still does not hear me, see me, they don't put the towels away in the closet the right way. They don't fold things the way that I've told them to fold them. Like there's this separation. They still make sandwiches the wrong way. They're putting mayonnaise on a sandwich and the correct answer is obviously Miracle Whip and not mayonnaise. That's right. I got some saved people in the house with me today. Look, um, uniting two lives into one doesn't mean that you're gonna agree all the time, but it does mean that you understand how you're gonna navigate something. Because my wife still has not come around on the miracle whip thing. I know, I'm sorry, it's all right. But I know that if I'm making her a sandwich, I know what she wants and needs. And if she's making me one, she knows what I want and need. And it's understanding that we may not see something exactly the same, but we understand we've come to a decision about how to navigate it. Being united is not always completely agreeing with each other, but it's coming to an agreement of how we're gonna navigate this issue. And so the the second part uh, of, of the message today is your marriage needs unity. And I wanna make sure that you understand unity is not always agreeing 
on everything, but it is agreeing on how you're going to handle and navigate something. The scriptural calling is that two lives are supposed to gel into one new life. And you won't be unified if you don't come to terms together through conversation and sharing with each other about an agreed vision. Amos chapter 3 verse 3 talks about this issue in a very simple way. And it says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? If marriage is compared to a walk, do you guys know where you're going together? Is it the same place? I believe that in marriage, we're called to walk together, not to just follow behind. Like you're not not called to get dragged along. You're called to walk together. And I 100% believe that men are called to be the leader in the home. But scripture is very clear that to be the leader in the home is to be a servant leader. To be someone who puts others' needs above your own. To put others' desires above your own. To put their dreams up above your own. And to serve them the way that Christ served the church. That is the calling of a husband in a home. And part of unity is going to be the husband stepping into that role and serving his wife and serving his children in that way. And I know that as you hear that, ladies in the room are like, yeah, I want that. Uh, not, not just the servant part, but the servant leader. I don't need someone who's just going to take care of me. I want someone who's going to be that. And then what happens in a Christian household, a household that is seeking to follow Christ, is in response to that of seeing the husband continue to pour himself out for her, she will continue to pour herself out for him. This is why Ephesians 5.21 says, out of reverence for Christ, submit to one another, husbands and wives. That calling is to both husbands and wives to because, not, not because they twisted your arm, not because they made you feel guilty, not even because you love them, because of your reverence for Christ, because of your love and worship of Christ, serve them in ways that they do not deserve. Give them grace that they do not deserve and do it because you're worshiping God. And then when that moves in both directions, it creates that happiness that we've been wanting to have. It creates that joy and that passion and that unity of life because we're both seeking to serve one another. And then it spills out into the lives of your children as well. I've seen, you know, I I get plenty of things wrong, but I, I can tell you, I can remember when Anthony was like, two and a half years old, and I'm pulling the trash cans that are like 10 times his size out. He's like, oh, this is what what the boys are supposed to do. And so he's trying to grab one of the trash cans and follow me out to the curb with it. And I'm like, you know, trying to secretly hold it because it will just squish him because he's two and a half. But kids pick it up quick. They will understand quickly, are we out for ourselves in this household? Or are we doing this as a family? Are we caring about each other? And they, they will sense it and they will see it. They won't listen to it if you try to teach it to them with words. But they'll see it in how you are and who you are. Unity, I, I believe it comes from each one of us individually following what God has called and designed us to do. And men, I, I'm starting with you. You're supposed to serve your family as Christ served the church. Set the example. 
And it's going to set the destination for where we're going. I think it's one of the difficulties that we, we, we're all in these relationships, but we don't have enough conversations about where is our life, where is our marriage, where is our spiritual health going? Like we've just skipped a lot of these crucial topics that are really the foundation that our happiness and our life is built upon. I, I mean, if, if I were to ask you, okay, what is the goal? What is the dream? What is the mission for this next year of your life? Most of us have not had those conversations lately to be able to provide an accurate answer. And to me, it's comparable to if I called Tia while she was at home and say, hey, honey, I'm leaving from work right now. Um, let's go out to dinner. I'm not going to tell you where we're going out to dinner, though, but I'd like you to meet me there. I'll see you. Click. We have a destination in mind but I don't think we've shared it with our spouse. And how are we gonna get there if we don't first have the conversation about where we're going? I wanna challenge you guys to begin to to have some conversations because our life, there's so many marriages that it, it just feels like the gap between the couple has gotten larger and larger. And I don't think it would have happened as easily or as quickly if there would have been just some conversations about, okay, where are our dreams? Where is the way that we're using our time taking us? Do we need to make any adaptations? Like, is our passion where it needs to be? Are we investing ourselves where we should? Like these conversations about where we're going and what we need to do to get there, they are critical to a healthy marriage. And if you're not married yet, but you're moving in that direction, you have to have your eyes set that you have to continue to make these course corrections of saying, where are we going? Where is our walk taking us? Because at the end of the day, your life and your marriage is gonna create a legacy that will surpass the years of your life that matters in incredible ways. There's a couple different legacies of relationships that we see in scripture. I want to share with you a little bit about Priscilla and Aquila because they don't get too much airtime in churches. There's about five passages that talk about them, but they were a significant couple in the early church. In Acts 18, Paul first met them. I'm just gonna go through like five scriptures. You can jot them down if you're note takers, but I'm not gonna put all these on the screen for time's sake. Acts 18 verses one through three is one of the first introductions where Paul was leaving Athens and went to Corinth and he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila born in Pontius who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome and Paul lived and worked with them for they were tent makers just as he was. And so one of the first things that we see is Priscilla and Aquila invited Paul into their home. They were, they, they, hospitality was a gift of theirs. They, they were open doors and they were, they were workers. They were people who made tents with their hands to pay their bills. And so Priscilla and Aquila worked together and they were invitational with the Apostle Paul. And then when the Apostle Paul was leaving in verse 18 of chapter 18 and setting sail to go and do ministry and missions work, Priscilla and Aquila went with him. And so they were a couple that they made the determination, hey, let's go on this mission trip with the Apostle Paul. Let's go see what God will do. And so they stepped out. In verse 26, Priscilla and Aquila heard Apollo preaching boldly in the synagogue and they took him aside and they explained the way of God even more accurately to him. And that that passage, Priscilla and Aquila saw this young pastor who was like passionate, he was fiery, he, he was compelling, people would listen to him. But as he was preaching, he was getting some of the information wrong. And so they were gentle and they were wise enough to grab Apollo by the shoulder and actually come around him and say, hey, just so you know, we want to clarify some of this with you. And they taught a pastor something in a way that he actually received it, which could be hard to do. I understand that. And so they, they were wise. They were, they were seen as elders. They were teaching pastors. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19, 
Paul's writing to the, the Corinthian church, and he says, The churches here in the province of Asia send greetings in the Lord, as do Aquila and Priscilla and all the others who gather in their home for church meetings. They were a couple that hosted a church within their home. In Paul's other letters in Romans and in Timothy, when he was sending greetings, he included them in those greetings. They, they were a couple that they were ready to go in ministry. They were ready to show hospitality. They were ready to open their doors for the church when needed. And God blessed their ministry and their legacy lives on in scripture as well as I'm sure it lived through the generations of their family. But they're not the only couple that we see written about in scripture. We see writings about Jezebel and Ahab's legacy and how they led many people far from God. We see Ananias and Sapphira, their legacy was that they lied to the Holy Spirit and to the apostles of the church, and their legacy was shame. And if you were to have an honest conversation between you and God about the condition of your marriage and the direction that it's going right now, how would your legacy be described? Is it something that would bring joy to your heart to talk about because of all that God has done? Or is it something that it breaks your heart because you did not expect your marriage to go like this? And this is not a moment for guilt, but this is a moment for recognition because so many people have just slid into the comfortable and they recognize we're, we're missing investing spiritually in our children for this season. We're missing investing in each other and caring for each other's soul. And so we need to wake up because I want to tell you, God loves a comeback story. When you look at the life of Jesus Christ, the fact that he died on the cross and rose from the grave, that when Jesus was teaching, he talked about the prodigal son who went and squandered all of the resources that had been entrusted into him with wild living, but the, the, the father that is the picture of the heavenly father rejoiced over him coming back home. Time and time again, God shows he loves to see the prodigal come home. He loves to see the turn in the story where someone who was getting it wrong starts to get it right. And so God invites you back to the place where you're saying, we're going to build on the foundation of Christ. We're going to invest in our marriage in a way that is going to change the course. It's going to change the direction because we understand, and this is the third thing, that our marriage is a legacy. Other people who aren't in our direct family will be talking about it, and that matters some. There will be some Christian testimony, and that matters some. But one of the biggest things for any family that has children is understanding that their legacy will play out in the lives of their kids. The way that you spiritually lead your home, you'll see that happen in the lives of your children. The way that you talk to your spouse will be the way that they expect someone to talk to them and the way that they will talk to their spouse. The way that you live your life for God or the way that you live your life ignoring God will be a legacy that you pass down into your children's lives. Ben, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to close this up. I did a wedding yesterday, and it was beautiful because the couple was beautiful. Um, I, but I, I hit my major goal, which is I didn't ruin it. Because, <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I don't get nervous about preaching, but I do get a little bit nervous about weddings because I recognize that if pastor does something goofy and says something wrong in the middle of a wedding, it will be part of that family's lore for the rest of their generation. And they will pass that story to their grandchildren of the pastor who goofed it all up. And I don't really want to be that part of their story. Um, and so the the wedding went great, but you know, I had my notes all prepared and um, it reminded me there's another pastor that was prepping his notes for the ceremony 
And he got one letter in the wrong spot when he was writing out his, his notes that the couple would be united today. Uh, or the, um, they'd be united today. And the, the I got moved over, so it'd be the couple will be untied today. <laughs> it's a very different meaning. Um, and it's just the, the I, like the I is just in the wrong spot. And there's a lot of marriages today that it feels like, man, they are about to just come untied. Like everything is breaking apart. And I want to tell you that if you're feeling like your marriage is coming untied instead of becoming more and more united, the I is probably in the wrong spot. The responsibility with you of what you can do to grow and heal, you need to grab a hold of that. You need to choose to serve your household and serve the spouse that God has given you. Your marriage is a legacy and it's the legacy that you want to pass on of faith and growth. And if, if saying, you know what, we were getting it wrong for so long and we're making adjustments as part of your legacy, then that's a beautiful story that needs to be written. Don't be afraid to write it. Don't be afraid to make the changes. We will either be driven by today's problems or we'll be driven by God's purposes. We'll either be focused on what we want or we'll focus on what God wants. We'll either be fighting for our own, desi- our own desires or fighting to pursue God's destiny for our relationship. There's going to be a focus, and I believe that as we put God as the foundation, we will see God build the happiness and the joy and the passion that we've all been wanting. Last week, I challenged all of us to pray with our spouse for seven days straight. Short prayer, easy prayer as a step. And I want to tell you, within our relationship, there's, we missed days. We didn't even hit all seven of them. But we understand our goal is to be a couple that prays together every single day. And so we're going to continue to pursue that. And I think that's a good picture of United. It's not that we've got it perfect, but we understand what we're chasing and what we're moving towards. And I want to ask you that if you you took the challenge and you're like, yeah, we were 0 for 7 or 2 for 7 or 7 for 7, whatever you were, um, keep pursuing it. Let's add another seven days to that. Let's continue to pursue the purposes that God has for us. And this is the second part of the series, the second challenge that I want to ask you to take. I want you to discover this season's purpose for your marriage. And you're going to do this by getting away with your spouse for a little bit, you might even want to call it a date. Go out together. Men, bring a pad and some paper to write some things down and ask some questions. What does this next season need to look like for us? What are your dreams? What are the areas that we need to grow in? Because I want to go where you're going. I want us to go together. I want us to go where God's calling. And if we don't talk about it and we don't reach agreement about it, we're not going to get there together. So, church, discover this season's purpose for your marriage. If you're single, then you need to discover what is this season's purpose for your life. Are you becoming the person that the person you're looking for is looking for? What does this look like for you? And I believe that as we are able to say, this is where God wants us to go, and we actually stop and identify it, God in his grace, he's going to give us the strength and the courage to make ground on that destination. 
but we have to choose to put the work in. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for your grace. That even if things have been difficult, that you provide strength and you provide opportunity. So help us to begin conversations that maybe should have already started years ago, but help us to step into them now. And where we've been strong, Lord, strengthen us and take us even further and closer together. And as we seek to honor you in our marriage, we know that you will be honored and glorified in the eyes of our children, in the eyes of our family, and in the eyes of this city. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.